that uh, today, as we record this, it is Denny Z's birthday. What? Really? Yeah. Also, the birthday of movies. Uh, the first movie huh. came out on December 28th. That sounds like some weird Socrates, you know, prediction of some kind. Didn't he say something like Hollywood and movie star, God, Denzel? That sounds like Socrates. Yeah, there's something. There's some Denzel in there somewhere. Yep. Interesting. Oh, well, happy birthday, Denzel. Uh, we know you're listening um, mm-hmm. because we have everyone's um, personal information, whoever subscribes to this. Yeah, we're stealing everyone's shit. Oh, my gosh. You're giving it away. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Vulgar Tours, where we examine the filmographies of genre filmmakers. This week, we are finishing out our run on Antoine Foucault with his most recent film, The Equalizer 2. I am Paco. And I'm Jason. So this is also Foucault's first sequel, which is the longest we've gone with any of our filmmakers so far before we get to a sequel. Yeah. Um... I kind of really respected that too, because we live in this era of like comic book uh, movies where it's such a commodity and they sell so many tickets that a lot of filmmakers are sought out or even like huge franchises like Mm -hmm. Twilight and all of the Harry Potter movies and all that stuff back in the day was such a competitive, weird time of franchising. And some people like use that to their advantage, like Alfonso Cuaron of, you know, uh, prisoner of Azkaban Mm -hmm. and, um, like what I really enjoy about Antoine Foucault is he kind of does his own thing. Like, I think it'd be rad if he made like an eighties type Punisher movie, which I mean, he kind of already did with the first equalizer, but it's, it's like Denzel and him making their own franchise. They're like Adam Sandler, you know, working as friends and working with friends and Mm -hmm. being able to just kick ass. Yeah. uh, I think one of the things that's interesting about him as a director is he's been able to go so long without doing it because most of these filmmakers, even the big guns don't make it this far. I mean, Michael Bay had fucking bad boys two and four transformers movies, uh, as sequels. James Wan had, God, he had at least three sequels. One of which, was to a franchise he didn't even really yeah. have any major part of. So the fact that Foucault is kind of going his own way and isn't really working as a gun for hire, I think is interesting. Um, and he's like going to projects that you feel like he's magnetized to, you know, like the Magnificent Seven is is a remake, but it's kind of like you can see why he was interested in adapting it you know, for his like Kurosawa roots mm-hmm. and, and the same with like the equalizer where, whereas it's more of like a, you know, campy 80s show. And he kind of found his niche for like, he already makes 80s action movies anyway. So it was kind of like an excuse to really go in that direction. And especially in this one where it almost, I mean, it opens like, you know, Casino Royale or, or like a James Bond movie with the Tea Party Massacre. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Which is just a fucking excellent opening. And I love that he goes all the way to Turkey and kills these fucking assholes just to uh, keep his favorite bookstore open. Like, it's just like a nice touch. I'd probably do that for my local bookstore as well. Oh, totally. Wallace's books, let us know. Drop us a line. We will kill for you. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I, I was at Wallace's uh, this past week. Fucking rule so hard. Is uh, it crazy with COVID and stuff? Because it's already cramped in there. Do they allow like uh, people? You have to schedule a slot and you get an oh, hour and it's just you and God. like one other person. Eight million books. Yeah, <laughs> but they also have, uh, this was right before Christmas, so... It was the owner and like three staff, which is the most I've ever seen in that yeah. tiny place. Uh, just filling the like online or not online, but like pickup orders, like nonstop. 
and uh super stoked to see they're doing good but oh that's awesome man i haven't been out that way in forever dude uh it's it's just they're they're one of the last holdovers of the you know oh it used to be an old house that's now been in it's now a bookstore but not like a modified gentrified bookstore it's like floor to ceiling stacks of books there's the sci-fi section there's like the old pulp paperbacks and they're like all dirt cheap you know Mm. whereas powell's books you know the big claim to fame here in portland is more like uh, commercialized now and books are more expensive um back in the day they used to like write like you know 275 on the dust cover jacket like on the inside like they would write it in pencil mm-hmm. like these dirt cheap prices and now it's it's kind of way more pricey because they're located in a prime time you know area I, but i think part of that's inflation uh yeah. but and part of it is yeah the whole fucking neighborhood around them is blown yeah. up so they've got crazy rent i'm sure but yeah. like i got books at wallace's for like 350 yeah that's awesome I mean, that's another neighborhood where the rent has to be fucking insane. Yeah. Um, but I got a book that uh, seems super cool. It's called My First Movie. And mm. it's, uh, I think it's interviews. I haven't started it yet, but it's uh, from like the 90s or maybe early 2000s. And it's a bunch of people like Mira Nair and I think Del Toro, uh, Robert Rodriguez, uh just sort of going through the process of making their hmm. debut film. And I oh, was like, it's a good find. Yeah. I'd never heard of it before, but I was like, this sounds fucking rad. Yeah. So, cause that's uh, such an interesting like part of the creative process too, especially to have them look back on things, you know, is, is an interesting perspective to kind of have. And it is so hard to get any movie off the ground, but especially yeah. getting that first feature off the ground and sort of, getting that traction is fucking brutal. So yeah. What is it? It's kind of like the, the record thing where it's like usually bands first records are their best because it's the record that they think will be the last one that they have or something mm-hmm. you know? where a lot of times it's like, sometimes it's, it turns out amazing. And then other times like the offspring's first record, I think is one of the best misfits records that, it's not a misfits record, <laughs> but like there's some that just hit the ground running and their first records are amazing. And then uh, I feel like it's, it's kind of like that way with films too, where, or, or like, even if it fails, like I think slacker was, was that link later's first movie? Um, if so, like it wasn't, it's not one of my favorite movies, but there's so many interesting things about it that would also permeate some of his later work that is really, you know, interesting to me. So it's, it's like usually, I always feel like the first film is what they throw all into it. Like she's got to have it, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like you could, if you could do one movie, you know, if you only have one shot, that's kind of the one you take. And that's the thing. So many people only have one shot. It is totally totally fucking hard. Privilege. I mean, really the privilege of making a movie, you know, is pretty staggering, especially, you know, for BIPOC uh, populations and, women mm-hmm. filmmakers, LGBTQ filmmakers, all that jazz. That's why it's so important to support those because it's for one, you're getting a totally different type of movie than what you'd watch on USA network. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, Equalizer two, I guess one of the other big points of trivia is this is also Denzel's first into this point only uh sequel yeah it's ever done uh yeah i saw a couple interviews um about the, uh with denzel and uh his co-star ashton uh gosh i forgot uh his last Sanders, name uh, i think i think so yeah who, who plays like the kind of younger kid that he takes under his wing and and can see that he's being led by Mm-hmm. his passion is being put in a negative direction versus the passion that he has for painting, you know, and, and things of that nature. But um, there was a great interview where uh, he, they were asking him, you know, like, why haven't you done any sequels? And of course the joke is like, well, you know, no one's going to offer me Malcolm X two. Yeah. You know? um, I would fucking love to see that though. Can you fucking imagine <laughs> like if we, you know, what would you do with Malcolm X two? Uh, Shit. All right. 
would you use Roman numerals? So would it be 12? <laughs> or would you do X and then like two, like X-Men United 2? Yeah, it would be an X and then a 2 because the X isn't a number. Like the numerical 2. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of the plot, I'd have it be uh, Malcolm X. Uh, turns out he didn't die at the end after all. Uh, he had faked his death and the sequel is him running like a covert deep state operation to, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm talking out my ass here, but it's hard to come up with the plot. Out of nowhere, uh, uh, to take down white supremacy. I don't know. Dude, that sounds amazing. <laughs> See, I, w- I would go in a, in different direction, like almost like swamp thing where he like survives in this creepy way and comes back as like a creature to like, like a Panther to like kill people. Yeah. It's tough doing any of this shit with like a real historical figure. Uh, Like, yeah, but, or he's like spawn where like he dies and then he goes to, Whoa, that's bad. Actually. (laughs) (laughs) The more we talk about it, the more I'm like, oh, yeah, what's the episode where we get canceled? Yeah. Uh, let's... <laughs> let's move on. Gosh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And. Well, uh, so uh, he was also saying that he was never really offered many sequels, which when you look at the body of his work, there's not like, I mean, many opportunities, like except for what the, the Grisham novels or the Clancy novel, the Pelican Brief. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that but i feel like he also just kind of does his own thing like he swoops in for oscar type shit and then he does his personal projects like fences and then he kind of does these fun projects like you know working with his collaborations with fuqua have been really enjoyable experiences within his you know filmography so it's it's kind of interesting just to see him continue that path with fuqua that fuqua is kind of maybe energizing him in a way that, uh, you know, made him want to return to this type of, you know, role. Yeah. I think you're pretty much spot on because almost like looking through his filmography now, almost none of those movies need a sequel. I mean, I don't know that the equalizer needed a sequel, but, uh, spoilers. It didn't. But. Yeah, uh, <laughs> like I don't want to see the Book of Eli too, or yeah. uh, even some of his fun movies with Tony Scott. You don't need more of that. I mean, yeah, like Deja Vu. It's like okay, so you do it again, and then it's Deja Vu again, and it's not interesting. You know, mm-hmm. like you some sometimes you only get one kind of shot, or like out of time. Like okay, are you gonna pick another kid? Yeah. Or, or is that man on fire? That's man on fire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't think that would be very good. I vote. But that it's, down. it's also too like the way that he talks about it though. It's, it's kind of like, but no one's really offered me anything. And again, I think that goes with his body of work, but it's also just, I don't know. I could see him doing like, well, I don't know. I can't imagine him doing any more of these Equalizer movies, but who knows? They, I came across an interview around the time this came out where yeah. uh, they were both open about it, both Fuqua and Washington. Which we should uh, say that this came out, uh, the mo- it's the most recent Fuqua release in 2018 mm-hmm. um, in a sequel from the, was it 2014? Uh, yeah. The first Equalizer movie. Um, and this one did gangbusters man like i think on on i didn't have a chance to look at the real numbers but on wikipedia it said between 62 and 79 million and it's gross was i'm not sure again if this is i don't think it's worldwide because it's too low but it's it's 190 million so it was no that's that's worldwide uh domestic it was just over 100 million so it's like again they almost certainly made their money back like it with something like this, it's a little tighter, but yeah. uh, I think they did all right. So I don't think it did as well. Like if I understand baseball terminology, right? The first one was like a double or a triple. Mm-hmm. And this 
feels more like a single. So yeah, who knows if they'll get another at bat. Um, but they both seem to open to the idea. And Honestly, I'd, I'd let Fuqua or Denzel do second base. Get to second base, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. God damn it. I mean... I just, I feel like Fuqua is, is like, he's showing his, like, he already does his own thing, but he's showing, too, that, like, not only are his movies more interesting and he does his own thing that's a different, like, it's not a, a different IP or, like, they're more kind of his own, mm-hmm. like, uh, adapting original screenplays and things of that nature, that it's just, it's it's interesting that uh he's showing his worth to the actual studio system of like oh this guy takes mid you know hundreds you know 50 million bucks and can turn out 190 million like it's it's things like that that is really fascinating because it's james wan was was similar where he he had so many like smaller budget movies to cover basic shit and then would make a shitload of money um you know, with its release. And I, I think that Fuqua is showing him himself as a dependable filmmaker, but also one who's competent. Like his movies are all like, that's what they all share is that, well, bait. I don't know, but tears of the sun. I don't know, but, uh, his like last 10 or 15 years. Yeah. They're... yeah it's like he's his now he's the, he's been the auteur that we've been searching for the last like 10 years. Like it's Fuqua has his own style. And this one was definitely a, an over the top, unnecessary 80s sequel that you would see in the 80s yeah it's interesting because critics really do not like fuqua movies and i've been reading a lot of reviews and among other things they considered this movie to be like immoral and kind of gross and i just don't get it there's a fucking part in this movie where he beats the shit out of some rich brat with the rich brats like exclusive credit card like (laughs) that shit fucking rules uh like in in a big lift commercial (laughs) you know like it's like a sequence of like you know now denzel is a lift driver by day and night looking for crime to like thwart um, mm-hmm. which is also kind of against what his, the first movie was about. Like, I don't think his wife would be like, Hey, now you can like now go into a bunch of other people's business. But like he, this, this lady is placed in his taxi and the guy gives him like a tip and she's obviously like drugged or something untoward happened. He's like and he, crying. It, oh, it it's pretty fucked up. It's really fucked. And Denzel is doing his Denzel shit where he's just sitting and he's like goes right back in there and like makes a big scene and like the titanium credit card i think those are if your limit is like a million dollars they issue those stupid titanium cards mm-hmm. and he fucks up that dude completely and he also like slowly goes through this other dude's like wrist arm forearm like breaking each component <laughs> like while he's doing something else on the other hand like it's really a great sequence, but it's almost like, okay, now he's this Batman guy who works for Lyft and he ends the sequence with like, you know, give me a five-star rating. Oh my something. God, that part like, cracked me up. It, it's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> I mean, it's so fucking dumb, but at the same time, like, how many Batmans in are we? Like... No, but it's like Rob Zombie movie where Sherry Moon Zombie works at Arby's and in the in between when she's getting fucked in the meat cooler or whatever and like puking below <laughs> where they give you horse sauce, then it's like, hey, have a great Arby's day. <laughs> it's just so fucking weird because you're like, why would Lyft sign off on this of a someone who's been possibly sexually assaulted and drugged placed in a back of one of your great cars, which is, it should show a safe space. I guess maybe that's the selling point is Denzel. It's also like the driver will attack your customers. And what if, yeah, what if exactly it's like, yeah, your track record for drunk passengers and, you know, predators. Yeah. It's just so weird. It was very strange. There's also another part where he drive someone going to the airport intentionally the wrong way. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And that usually happens in cabs, you know, when you're being charged, you know, well, there's all kinds of horror stories about Uber and Lyft where drivers typically will take women 
on very roundabout routes uh, to, you know, try to chat them up or in some cases do more fucked up shit. Um, To which I say, bad, don't do that. Fuck that. Uh, Cut your balls off. Um, But like, because there are documented cases of that, don't fucking like have your driver do it in the movie. Yeah. Like I'm surprised. I don't know. It's just yeah. obviously Home Depot didn't sign off because in the first one he worked for like a fake store. Yeah. So, like why even bother? I guess Lyft probably helped finance the movie, but, but there's different still. ways of doing that. Like it Lee's Wranglers or, or whatever jean company, which he doesn't even wear the weird jeans that he wore in the first one. But it's well, like why not? Home Depot uniform, but, but why not? Uh, yeah, but he should still wear it. <laughs> but uh, it is weird because why not have it just be a rundown taxi company and then get your money or, you know, ad revenue elsewhere? You know, it's just, or it's just don't strange. have product placement like. Yeah, none of it's the other movies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's the only reason why you'd have product placement or like in the Wayne's world, uh, satirical sense of making fun of product placement by also utilizing product placement. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about Pedro Pascal in this movie? I'd seen it before. And I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, Oh, this is like Scooby-Doo syndrome. Like, Oh yeah. Oh, totally. There's, there's one new character. I wonder who the villain is. Um, Oh, and it's the partner. And it's like, oh, they have like this elevator sequence where it's like, okay, those were the only two constants in that elevator. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. There's just enough about it where I was like, huh, Pedro Pascal, I think is kind of low key the bad guy. And lo and behold, there you go. Has he, I mean, how often does he play bad guys? Because I feel like I associate him a lot with bad guys, but Wonder Woman 1984. But then again, the you know superhero of that movie is a bad guy too. I am so fucking excited about that movie. Like, <laughs> it's, I, it's I. You're I, also pro Israel, but um. Well, no, I'm not. <laughs> like that. <laughs> that's part of why I will probably never watch it because Gal Gadot has said some. Uh, things about the Palestinian people that I find deeply troubling. Uh, and I'm but, sorry, I shouldn't joke about that either. That's not, that's, that's I, mean, I think we've established that the people we can joke about are like <laughs> our own groups. Like I can joke about the British, the Irish and the Scots. Yeah. I don't, I guess that would mean you would be Russia. I don't know. Like, I could be a third Welsh. Can I still make fun of Welsh people? Yeah. I you don't know. Welsh. I think there's one in one in eight, thousand <laughs> i don't know but i feel like uh uh i am out of my depth diving into the israel palestine well, yeah, <laughs> totally. but yeah israel uh, <laughs> Pedro pascal has played a, a a sort of smarmy character too but it's really tough though you know because he kind of he's one of those interesting actors where he's like kevin costner where he, he's just kind of like he's not a vanilla actor, but he's like the, uh, not the threat. Like he's like the non-threatening cool guy, which is what they try and get away with. But there's enough kind of flair with the editing and the way that it's shot to like, and again, the Scooby-Doo syndrome of like, Oh, if they're giving you four characters and (laughs) it has to be one of these four characters, you know, like, or even with Scooby-Doo was like two characters. And it was really only one character in this one. Cause other than that, it's, melissa leo and bill pullman you know i think it was a robbery you know melissa leo was robbed i think this was all overblown i saw i think it was on RogerEbert.com. the critic was like melissa leo was also brutally beaten in olympus had fallen which i thought of too and i was just like does antoine fuqua just have a thing about like brutally beating the shit out of melissa leo (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh but it's a uh, that scene is kind of distasteful. Like, oh, I, yeah, I do like how at least they do like the show her fighting back. Yes, and then the door closes and we cut away so we don't see the actual murder. But but I think he closes the door, which is kind of like the wink, wink. Oh, uh, he he's cl- he's in control. 
And so yeah, it's kind I, of like interpreting that she's losing, she's going to lose. Uh, yeah, which I feel like is if you're going to do it, the better way to do it than to show the full fucking yeah. murder. Yeah. But you could also just. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but I mean, that's that's also what ties uh, him, uh, uh, Equalizer uh, guy, into McCall. this equation. McCall yeah. is like the first, whereas the first movie was kind of a guardian looking out for the, this child who was being exploited. Um, this one, it was like, it's personal. You know, mm-hmm. uh, her, you know, they had like this cute little Tupperware soup night early in the, mo- the movie. And wasn't she, she was in the first one too. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Bill she's Bill Pullman are. Yeah. Bill Pullman. And uh, it's like, it's, I think really challenging to watch too, because she's a good guy, you know? And I, I don't mean like, I just mean like she's the protagonist. Like she's on our hero's side. She's like, you've also had, multiple talks with her you know throughout these movies that it sucks when she's killed and it's the way that it's shot is this powerlessness mm-hmm. uh, but even though she kicks ass which is awesome but it's it, i think that's what what brings that whole thing uh home and what makes it so like you need to see how shitty and evil this is that her partner signed off on it and i think that's what makes you hate him at the end because it's it's which not not necessarily at the end because it they kind of give it away shortly after when he he kills another you know uh witness yep but uh yeah i think pascal does like a reasonably good job finding the nuance of the character Mm -hmm. uh and kind of plays up the like I don't know. One of the things I thought was interesting about this movie is a lot of people talked about like the immoral, like nature of it and the like nonsensical politics, but the politics made perfect sense to me. It's uh, we've built a giant empire army and then we've started selling it off piece by piece. And those workers need to work somewhere. Uh, Like that theme was consistent with the theme in shooter. Yeah. And um but like, then Pedro Pascal goes against everything that fucking Jimmy Bubblegum, you know, hung Lee uh, yeah. doing shooter where he's the, with the wind velocity at the end. Come on. I but, saw Mark Wahlberg <laughs> in, in his living room. I could hear it again, you know. Well, I mean, I don't know if even uh what was that guy's name? Bobby something. Bobby uh, hung yeah, his name is Swagger. Swagger Bobby Lee. Lee Swagger. Bobby Lee. Bobby Swagger. Lee. <laughs> uh, I don't know if even Bobby Lee Swagger could make a good sniper shot in the middle of a hurricane. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so stupid, dude. But, but I kind of love that though, because he—it's like that's where the '80s movie bad guy, like that's all. It's the double cross. It's the like over the top water tower fight thing, or whatever the fuck they were on. It's like it, the sniper thing, which. You know, Denzel uh, running through this like uh, uh, abandoned town during a hurricane and trying to outrun a sniper was pretty dope. And and I mean, this movie kind of is another Western, you know, it, it, the whole movie feels like a huge Western where, you know, he's going around as like a Ronin doing, you know, th- things for hire, using his skills for things that he deems worthy or you mm. know, whatever, and is ultimately, you know, comes back to his hometown where he's being threatened and and has the kid or whatever. And it's just, it's, it's, and I think the first equalizer too is kind of a Western. Cause I mean, if you take out the male fantasy vigilantism, it's kind of a big Western. Um, I, I mean, think, if you take out the male vigilantism, it's like 12. Fantasy. It <laughs> <laughs> is true. Uh, um, no, I, th- I think you, like both these and revenge movies in general do build a lot on like Western archetypes. And, uh, and I mean, equalizer especially is you're, you're balancing out the wrongs by equal, like doing it with the rights, like the right thing to do. You mm -hmm. know, it's kind of like this weird balance of power of taking it in your own hands to make situations that are unfair, fair. And, you know, yeah. Touching on the hurricane, 
Uh, Washington is fantastic in that movie. Great segue. Okay, let's get into it. Uh, never seen it. Oh, well, you should totally see it. That's really good. I like the Bob Dylan song. Uh, (laughs) You're like, please stop talking about. I like the Bob Dylan song. Okay, let's move on. Bob Dylan song is great. Um, but it's so crazy to me that in the first movie he kills like. 15 dudes in a hardware store at the finale with morbid and morbid macabre ways. Yeah. And it's very creative and memorable. And I remember walking away from this movie being like, what a fucking letdown because it's only four dudes in a hurricane and you never feel like he is at any risk, like being hurt. And, uh, like, it's also in the first movie, he had a hardware store and he did all this crazy shit in this movie. He's got a whole town and, and also like his wife's bakery. That's still yeah. there that he has access to that. He, is he paying rent for fucking, you know, like what? <laughs> I don't know about that, but like, there's just so many options. Like well, how the, it, more than four dudes come at him. It, like no, but that's when, face like challenges. You know, instead of just harpooning dudes. That's the problem with these movies, though, is that it's Denzel. And and I don't mean I mean, he isn't a producer on this as well, but it's like this superhero complex that was also a thorough thread in um, The Magnificent Seven, where he's untouched, unscathed. And the first one, I don't think he's like hit or hurt at all. He doesn't have like a scratched eye, anything like that. Yeah, he's not touched up in the first one. He has to like boil honey to like. Oh yeah. <sighs> don't and, speaking of wounds, don't bring up the idea that he boiled all that goddamn honey and didn't rub any on his his own torso for <laughs> any of us. It's just like I've written to the fan club eight times. No one's writing me back. It's like we get it. Okay, I'm a honey pot for you know Denzel. I mean Sue me. Don't don't sue me Denzel fan club, but who is the president of that fan club? They need to be doing a better job. Coincidentally, it's Evan Throckmorton. <laughs> uh, that, that checks out. Uh, <laughs> but, it, like, I mean, and in The Magnificent Seven, like, he's about to get killed. And uh, what's-her-face saves him at the end. Yeah, but, like, he's like, not really scathed, though. You know, like, he's not hurt. He's not injured. He doesn't have, like, a limp. Like, he's pretty... But, but what I'm... Like, at least in those, there's, like the risk of him dying like i never feel like he's ever in any danger but that's that's the problem with this one too is that i think also part of that and you're what you're saying is totally valid it's also just like the denzel like him as the person separate mm-hmm. from his persona is shining through because it's like they're not gonna stink and kill denzel down there like it's I don't know. It, it it was just almost like a vanity project type affair where this one was so unnecessary, where it was now like, okay, let's have this abandoned town and I'm going to fight off all these guys to get to the top and blah, blah, blah. And it, it just was not really interesting. Like he doesn't really take them out in a home alone way. He doesn't use the same amount of sadism. He doesn't tuck in his shirt as much as he should. It's just like, it's not, the danger is gone. So you're just kind of watching someone play with action figures and you're like, this is not fun. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, not that it's not fun, but it's like, because I kind of love the corniness of the fight at the end with Pedro Pascal, which I do want to bring up that the cinematographer for this one was Oliver Ward, um, who also worked with, I think he worked on a couple of Larry Cohen movies, including uh, Q the Winged Serpent. Did you ever watch that? Yeah, of course. So fucking good. But um, he also, among the other things that he did was Die Hard 2. Um, he did a couple of the Bourne films or maybe did all of them. Um, but he also did face off in the, the, the like last scene on top of like the, I don't even know if it's a water tower. I keep saying it is, but it's just like a big tall structure in this tiny, you know, new England town or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's super over the top. They're like throwing each other to the ropes, you know, as if it was like a wrestling ring, like it's a square, and it's just like, it's so over the top because the storm is all around them and he's really leaning into like the Kurosawa, you know, a storm is coming where, you know, Kurosawa was famous for the atmosphere he'd create with shifting weather and how to use that to like change 
um, you know, your dramatic or, or kind of like set the mood in for mm-hmm. foreshadowing what's to come, you know, things of that nature and stuff. So it was just kind of like so over the top that they're having this huge scene on top of the the building and it's it's personal and it, but it it still is like not really exciting because there's no part of me that thinks that Denzel is going to be injured. It's just kind of everyone going through the paces. Yeah, and it's also I really dislike the ending because I think it looks like shit. Like oh the it's like Pascal falling to the rocks below and stuff. <laughs> I mean, I didn't mind that, but I just mean it's hard to authentically fake a storm in long shots. Yeah. Like because you have to use a bunch of CGI and it just kind of looks like trashy CGI. Um, yeah. I think it works in the close-ups and when Denzel's like going house to house uh, playing cat and mouse. But beyond that, it's it's just kind of meh. I mean, I think the most interesting moments in this movie are like the more personal moments. Like totally he goes to Pascal's house and like uh, has like this weird chemistry where like, you know, they're polite, but also basically saying we're i'm gonna kill you to each other and we're like let's make out like that was the subtext i was getting to yeah but you know they can't say that exactly around the wife and kids but that's Uh, why i got the fan fiction going at www.getfuquadup.com quads wads shooting wad (laughs) i'm so sorry uh Uh, there's a reason uh, there's an E on this podcast. <laughs> That's uh, true. Yeah. I mean, but, but I, I feel like too, that it was almost like they were trying to uh, like what the, it's the adage of don't fix what isn't broken. And it's like, Oh, remember that cool home Mart mm-hmm. rain, you know, uh, what is it? The not rain. Uh, the sprinklers. The sprinklers going off. What if there was a hurricane, and he was out of his element and not in his store, but then could still use bakery goods from his dead wife's shop to, you know, blah blah blah. It was almost like, but they didn't do it stylistically as interesting as in the original. And the, when I say unnecessary, it's just like this character, his whole arc in the first one also was to try and convince himself that he was doing the right thing against his wife's wishes because he made a promise or whatever. And it wasn't really there in this one. It's just like, Oh, now that my wife has forgiven me and I've thrown the ring out to see like, you know, a maverick with goose's dog tags. Not mm-hmm. that he did that in this movie, but it's just like, it, it it's just strange that, uh, that emotional part isn't there but yet it's shifted to his relationship with um, the, the younger uh, guy that uh, is, that he's kind of rehabilitating from this lifestyle of. I I would argue the, the main emotional point is he's like healing and trying to move on from being so isolated in like, that's why his dinners with Melissa Leo are so important. And that's why her death is like the major catalyst for Mm. it. Like, but again, that doesn't quite make sense because he's already like beating the shit out of people at work or to get a book. Like, it's just kind of incoherent. uh, Like, I think he's just decided, fuck it. I'm Batman now. No, exactly. Like the, the panic room bookshelf sequence is kind of like okay this is is kind of ridiculous uh you know where the the kid you know hides behind this bookshelf which is actually some great tense scenes mm-hmm. um and i i loved that too because it was showing denzel as the that protector again even though like you felt safe even though he was again sitting in his car on the phone um it was just like not many actors are that good at just kind of, and I guess like, it's not like the script is amazing, but it's just like, there's little moments that are really fun. Mm -hmm. It's just unnecessary. And that's the problem is like, we don't really need any of this. Like 
the the first one ended in a concise good way where it's just like hey they're on good terms and i'm happy that he's moving on and blah 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 like we didn't necessarily need this but and i uh just like i think ashton sanders is a big part of that uh i know people who uh went to school with him and uh they say he's also just like a very solid like stand-up dude like very professional and like i mean his breakout was moonlight and uh like i think that's when he dropped out um of the acting program that i knew people at uh but he just carries like a weight even to like a pretty generic character yes um that i think makes it have a bit more to it like i feel like there's something almost kind of the idea that like denzel is going to like save this kid is apparently part of what brought denzel to the project mm-hmm. um because did you say that or did i read it somewhere that denzel had a um a bit of a troubled moment in his life and people like helped him through it uh i can't remember i talk a lot sorry man <laughs> it's all good but uh i there's something about it that kind of feels like condescending yeah like uh just pull up your pants and work harder uh kind of attitude which is like see i big issue i don't know it it kind of confounded me uh and i have been looking i wasn't able to find any before we recorded but i was looking for like particularly men of color uh, who are critics and how they took it because I know that there is like a debate in the African-American community about Mm -hmm. how like various narratives about how, you know, you get out of poverty. And I don't know. I thought it was a, not my place to really say anything besides commenting on like, Mm. I think it's an, interesting way they go about it and be like the irony of Denzel being like, no, like don't sell drugs. Just like murder a shitload of people. Like I do. <laughs> like it's just well, I like, I read a totally different subtext to it of, Oh, he recognizes the pain that's in this kid, mm-hmm. you know, and how it's leading him down this path. And he, he, he kind of has that judgmental thing of like, you know, he saves him from this situation from basically pulling the trigger on and getting revenge on this person who, who killed his brother, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like the their whole relationship wasn't like pull yourself out of poverty. It was like, this is a dark, depressed place. And I've been there and I, I like, I see it in your face. I don't want you to end up like me. Here's you're a, you're skilled at painting. Let me encourage you to paint and do, and put all that passion into something that's worthwhile and builds your community versus the path that I've taken where now I was in the military and I have this skill of doing what I do and I have an empty like life. So it was almost like, I want to protect you by saying like, Hey, those feelings come and go and fluctuate. Mm-hmm. You don't want to hurt anyone. Like put that po- into something positive to, which, you know, and yeah. he paints a mural at the end, but then like it's beautiful with, for Fa- Fatima, uh, uh, tells like a story about growing up and he like paints what she, yeah. And it's a beautiful mural, but like, yeah. Denzel's fucking off again and like that kid's still living there and like he said like painting doesn't pay the bills and now he's got the gang he was in mad at him like I feel like he's in not a great oh totally <laughs> like yeah. yeah that is true but like but I think that it was also like a codependent kind of thing where I think he needed like a mentor or someone to like that he could show himself to that yeah. he's the sensitive artist. And I think Denzel needed to kind of butt into someone's business and try and ruin books and stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. like, but it's just like, 
I mean, what the fuck is that kid going to do now? Like, that's what I thought too. Like that puts him in a really shitty predicament to just go like, Hey, you know, I'm going to hurt all these people and then take you out of this. And then everything's cool. Yeah. I'm basically going to drag you out at gunpoint. And then, yeah. uh, yeah, I'm sure there will never be any repercussions for that because we don't see them in the movie, but yeah. like, you're, you're, that kid's totally got PTSD. He got kidnapped, driven oh, yeah. by a hurricane, and like sniped in a car trunk. Like, um, yeah, he's he's got a lot going on, and like painting one nice mural is not fixing all the ways Denzel fucked his life up. Yeah, that's <laughs> damn, dude. That is a dark way to read that. That's really interesting. <laughs> Holy shit! Yeah. Ah, go fuck yourself. (laughs) Um, yeah, I guess I don't really have a lot more to say. Uh, I want to, I have added to my bucket list, uh, beat the shit out of someone with a credit card now. Yeah. Because that was rad. Um, other than that, this is probably Fuqua's most forgettable movie since at least Brooklyn's finest, if not hmm. like uh Tears of the Sun, right? Yeah, like it felt enough like an autopilot thing where he was comfortable. You know, he's kind of like especially after something like Magnificent Seven where I could feel like he was way more tuned in and like was paying attention to details and was enthusiastic. This mm-hmm. one just felt like not like a studio cash in of whatever, but just kind of like, oh, this is a, a picture for the studios. And then my next movie will be, you know, Infinite or, or you know, the other one that he's working or the, I think he has two movies coming out next year because of COVID-19. Yeah. Wait, but yeah means we'll be taking a couple breaks to catch up yeah so i mean whereas this is his last movie who knows what we'll do on our patreon i know that there's the american dream american uh, nightmare should night documentary that i really want to check out and the lightning in a bottle uh his softcore porn movie i've watched enough times that i think um i could really have a solid eight part episode breaking down each moment um also some usher videos there's a bunch of stuff to talk about because you know fuqua is great but um we'll catch you on the flip side when those new ones are released i i am pretty pumped uh we'll probably get into that next week when we do our uh fuqua review but i am excited for the uh guilty that's supposed to be coming out next year is uh, okay. Is that the one? I think I had it mixed up last time we talked about like the Jake Gyllenhaal one. That's the Jake Gyllenhaal one, not the Infinite movie, right? Yes, like, that's Infinite was with Ethan Hawke. Uh, no, Ethan Hawke's also in this one. It looks oh. like it's a remake of like a Swedish movie, uh, hmm. about a cop on dispatch duty who uh, picks up a phone call from a uh, kidnapped lady. And has to figure shit out. Uh, I've not seen the original, but I don't know. That sounds a lot like that Halle Berry movie uh, from a couple of years ago that looked fucking awful and, yeah. but like fun awful. And I hope for fun awful from this. Yeah, I mean, we should, you know, let's go, fuck it. Let's go see it in the theater. Let's sit on each other's laps. Let's maybe share a soda pop. Let's, Let's get in everyone's bit. Let's go opening night. Let's, well, let's do it. Because COVID will be over by... God, don't fucking jinx us. <laughs> Hopefully, by that point, we will be vaccinated and have uh, the opportunity to see movies in the theater again. Knock on wood. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah, I think I guess I would give this like a tentative thumbs i'm gonna do a uh a hand shaking Ooh. like the uh it's not a hit thumbs up or a thumbs down for me it's kind of like right in that middle ground of like hmm. a lot about this movie sucks but there's enough interesting parts that i was intrigued i think this uh this isn't 
one of my favorite of his movies, but it's kind of, I'll give it a tentative, like slouched in your chair, your t-shirts kind of up on your gut, you know, your little tum tum showing, mm-hmm. doing a little hang loose sign. Cause maybe you're watching this and life sucks and you don't want to go. You're not invited to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. You haven't talked to anyone. You kind of want to watch something dumb. Denzel's always a good choice. That's it's a great movie for that. And I, I just don't think that it's like a necessary, like Fuqua stamped movie. It just doesn't feel as personal or uh, authentically Fuqua. Um, but again, it just shows his remarkability as a filmmaker because even his poor outings, save for like tears of the sun um, are really King Arthur. That's for you, Evan. But uh I think like even as poor outings, there's something to parcel some good shit about. So, I mean, I I appreciate it, but I don't think I need to see another one question mark, except maybe Denzel when he's like 90, that would be kind of cool. Yeah. Or maybe Denzel and Ashton are like the equalizers with a three instead of an S. Yeah. And they're equalizing shit together. It's an equal sign with like a strike through it, like a five. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't need to see another one of these. Um, And thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, Uh, find us on social media. I put out into the universe. We'll be doing merch. So I will, have more updates on that soon but you can google and see if you can find it um and as always go fuck yourself peace